The first reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. It can be found on page 227 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Paul prays for the church in Thessalonica. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. It can be found on page 91 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus speaks about his coming as the Son of Man. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this world, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? 
Oh Lord, will you open our ears that we can hear from you? Will you open our eyes that we can see more of you? And will you open our hearts that we can, oh, just receive more of you and your wonderful love? Oh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Advent, Advent, the word advenio, uh, to come, and you're going to keep on hearing the word come. I don't know how many times we've heard the word come this morning already. Come, Lord Jesus, come, come. And that's really the, the whole of the Advent theme is centered on the coming of Jesus. Coming, Jesus coming. Now, of course, we're in the run-up to Christmas, and uh, we think quite obviously of how Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Jesus came into our world to fulfill uh, that unique mission to pay for our forgiveness and to ensure our salvation. Uh, you, know, you know all this, of course. He came not to remain a baby in a manger, but he went to that cross to die our death and to rise again so that we might live his victorious life. Great. But Advent reminds us, of course, that he not only came in the past, but he still comes here and now in the present. You know, by his active Holy Spirit, he responds to all those who hear his voice and open the door of their heart to him. And when they do that, when they open the door of their heart, Jesus says, here I am, and I come in and enter into your life, here and now, in the present, and I'm with you. Yes, indeed, come on, how we rejoice. Well, I do, and how we all rejoice for that experience of our intimate relationship with, with Jesus, with him, and how we pray for more and more, especially our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues at work, the many who, uh, who we know who are lost, for more and more of them, we pray for them to open the door of their lives to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, our rescuing Savior. You know, he waits longingly for their invitation to come in. But not only do we pray uh, for them, but also conscious of our calling to proclaim Christ. I trust that we're all of us using every opportunity and facility to introduce him, the light of the world, to the lost who are living in the darkness. But our two Bible readings today don't look back to the past, nor do they look to the present. They underline the future advent, the day when Jesus will come again. And what was the title for today? Did anybody pick it up? No, you all gone looking blank at me. Um, we must be asking ourselves, are we ready for the king's return? Jesus will come again, and are we ready for the king's return? What does that mean to you? Come on, just think for a moment. Are we ready for the king's return? Do you know, I preached on this passage uh, I discovered some 13 years ago, <laughs> and I looked up my notes during the past week, 
And I, I was fascinated to, uh, to read something that I'd said then. Uh, it was all about a friend of ours whose wife had gone to the UK to see her parents. He knew that she was away for a week and he decided to leave the, the blitzing of the house uh, to a couple of hours before her return. The sink was piled high with uh, plates, cups, saucers, cutlery, saucepans, and the hoover hadn't seen the light of day for a whole week. Unfortunately, he had failed to note the exact time of her flight, and she returned in the morning and not the afternoon as he'd expected. She had a rude shock when she saw the state of the house. He had an even ruder shock when she appeared. And you know, it, it, Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians, part of which Rosemary read to us now, uh, doesn't want the folk there to be caught out like my friend was with the sudden unexpected return of his wife. He wants them to be ready. He wants them to be prepared for the return of the king. He knows that Jesus will return unexpectedly, or we read elsewhere that Jesus will return like a thief in the night. And Paul just wants them to be ready. Just as I'm sure if he was writing to us now, uh, he would want us to be ready. In that passage that Rosemary read to us, we see how there Paul is filled with joy and thanksgiving for those who are living in the Christian faith. But he still wants to revisit them to supply and to fill any of the gaps that, that are there in their walk with Jesus. He wants their faith to grow. He doesn't want their faith to remain stagnant. He wants them to grow as individuals until they reach full maturity in Christ. Of course, he knows that the letters may help, but he knows that there is no substitute for the stimulus of face-to-face -face fellowship when they are mutually encouraged by each other's witness and living faith. You know, it was true for them then, 2,000 years ago or whenever. It's true for us now. Come on, we are mutually encouraged uh, by each other's witness and living faith. So important to come together for this face-to-face -face time of, of building each other up and encouraging each other. And Paul is longing to do that, to get there, to, to be um, with, with them. And he prays too, doesn't he, earnestly for them. We read there how he prays night and day, praying night and day for them, every opportunity that exists, praying for, the, for, the, for the, the church family and no doubt for a wider fold. His prayer for them, as we see in, that, in the, those verses read to us, that he, uh, it's a threefold prayer. He prays for that return visit to have more fellowship with them. Then he prays for their love to increase and overflow for each other. He wants their love to increase, praying for that, and for, to overflow for each other, for those within the Christian community and for those outside the kingdom. Just as we abound in love for you, 
he says, just as we abound in love for you. Oh, when I read that, when I went like that, I thought, wow, what a challenge there. Do you see the challenge for all of us? Are you praying for an increase in our love for each other? Are you praying for an overflow of that love? Maybe that's something we've never even considered. About time that we added that to our prayer diaries to pray for that we'd have more love for each other. And in the third part of his prayer, Paul asks that his loved ones in Thessalonica will be holy and blameless when Jesus comes again. That they will be holy and blameless when Jesus comes again. See, there's to be no slipping back, just keeping constant in their faith until they reach the finishing line. Holy and blameless. What does that say to you? Come on. Are you holy and blameless? Are you working towards that? Or you think that you'll ever be there? Or are you despondent at the thought of being holy and blameless? You know, if we look at ourselves, we say, mm, we need to look to the Lord, don't we? We need to look to the Lord, how we need to place our weak hand in his strong hand and let him lead us and achieve in us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, and as we look at, uh, ahead at the end of this letter of Paul, we see him praying that the God of peace himself will sanctify you. That the God of peace himself will sanctify you entirely. And that your spirit and soul and body will be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, it's by grace that each one of us here been saved. It's by grace that we're saved. And it is God's grace that's going to be sufficient for our every need as we trust wholly in him. So may he work that great work of sanctification in each one of us so that we are holy and blameless. Come on, a quick look at Luke's gospel passage. Uh, it's on page 91 if anybody wants to look at it again. In, in that passage that Luke has there, Luke records some words of Jesus uh, about uh, the second coming including references to the signs which will precede that great day. I'm not going to go through them, but he talks there about there will be convulsions of nature and cataclysms on the earth. There will be disturbances involving the sun, the moon and the stars that will be clearly visible. Heavenly bodies will be moved out of their orbits. There will be tidal waves sweeping across the land areas. People will be panic-stricken. As what they see coming upon the earth as the powers in the heavens are shaken. Then, ha ha, then there is that sure and certain hope that the Son of Man will be seen coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Yes, 
And in verse 28, Jesus adds, now, when these things begin to happen, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Well, signs there will be when we don't know. But it's clear from all of scripture that we cannot and we must not predict the final return of the king when, oh, that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus' return won't be to a darkened room in some ancient building in the Middle East. He's going to come to all who live on the face of the earth. I can't imagine how that can be. But every part of the whole human world will know that Jesus has come in that moment of glorious coronation. In the meantime, in the meantime, we continue to be prepared, ready for the return of the king. In verses 34 to 36, we are reminded there of how easily we can be so occupied with sort of things like eating and drinking and the mundane cares and worries of life that we just very rarely give a second thought to the second coming of Christ. Come on, let's not get caught out unprepared. Be on guard. Jesus says, watch and pray at all times so that the day does not catch us unexpectedly and that we may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Corrie ten Boom, in her book, Reflections of His Glory, writes about our preparation for the return of the King And she says how she rests in total confidence. She quotes Philippians chapter 1 there verse 6. That he who began a good work in you. Come on read it for ourselves. He who began a good work in you. Will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Corrie adds that as we surrender totally to him and place our lives in his loving hands, we needn't battle, strive, or struggle because he who is faithful will do it. I heard a sermon many years ago while on holiday about the second coming of Jesus. And the emphasis throughout that sermon was, if we knew Jesus was to return tomorrow, how differently would we behave today? Shall I stop there for a moment? Perhaps you'd like to think that one through for yourself. And how differently we would return today. I remember the preacher saying, well, one thing we wouldn't do is we wouldn't go out and buy green bananas. He had other suggestions too. But, you know, I can't remember what else he said, but I do remember that one. But uh, what would our prayers be? What last minute preparation would we be making 
and checking on for ourselves? Who would we frantically be running to to ensure that they were ready for the return of the king? What else would we be desperately doing? Well, we don't know if Jesus will return tomorrow, but let's live each day ready and fully repaired, prepared for the return of the king. And may we not be caught out as my friend was with the dirty dishes and the unswept floor. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you've reminded us this morning that you will be returning one day, perhaps tomorrow, perhaps next week, but most certainly one day in the future. And as you bring to completion the good work that you've begun in us, may we consciously play our part in being prepared, ready for the return of the King. Oh, we pray in the name of King Jesus. Amen.